And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi for Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, all right, all right. Let's just a uh, button here and a button there. <sighs> Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here, and today on the program, we have a pre-recorded interview, and I will I will make a note of that. It is a pre-recorded interview with Mercedes Lackey, best-selling author, award-winning author, several fantasy books and science fiction books and filk lyrics so that will be coming up here very shortly but first of all i've got some news we've won an award i guess i can i can toot my own horn a little bit here toot toot so uh corporate vision magazine and i'm gonna preface this with uh, uh, the caveat that I'm not sure how many how many other nominees there were in this, but Corporate Vision Magazine, this is out of the UK, they have selected us, they have, uh, they have given us the title Best Horror, Sci-Fi, and Fantasy Entertainment News Media Platform for 2020. So I'm, um, I'll take it. I think that's a that's a fun little bit. It's the very least. It's bragging rights, and I'm sure there's. I mean, there's a sales pitch involved for the various different uh, layers of. Hey, let us help you market your site now that you've won this award, and I'm sure that that's part of it. But uh, it's nice to it's nice to be recognized. It's nice to have uh, a little bit of uh, a, a kudos, if you if you will. And we are sitting at 101 days without an incident. Although, Mrs. Boss, I need to, uh, I need to question, and and I think you and I have talked about this a little bit before. But the the question now is, we have not had an incident, but do we need to reset the clock? Um, it. I I I'm not going to get too too far into the story with it, but apparently uh, Mrs. Boss has some bones that like to break just completely on their own. <laughs> so it's, I don't know. How'd you, how'd you get that fracture? Walking. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Hmm. I think there was not an incident. So we're still, our count is still good. 101 days and, uh, and counting. So anyway, I got, I got a question. I have I have a question. This question is likely to get me in trouble. But this is a question that I would like people just to think about. Uh, we got word today that they're going to re-release 42, the Jackie Robinson movie that stars Chadwick Boseman. Of course, uh, you know, the news of Boseman's death over the weekend was very much a surprise, very much a shock. Nobody knew he was ill. He was young. He was talented. My question 
you know, they, they ran Black Panther, ABC ran Black Panther on Sunday night as a tribute. There's been all of these tributes that come that, that came across over the weekend, and that's fine. Not to take away from all of that, who's a talented performer, no question. But would, would the reaction be the same for, say, Keanu Reeves? Say Keanu Reeves died unexpectedly. Nobody knew he was sick. He's a talented performer. He's very popular. I don't know that. I don't know that it would be. Um, I, ha- I, I, not to be a cynic, but I'm a cynic, and sometimes I look at the things that happen, the the actions that people take, the decisions that people make, and I have to wonder if. Some of it is driven by more, I don't want to say predatory motives, but um, what's the word I'm looking Exploitive motives, maybe. Uh, Given the current climate, given the current uh, situation that's going on in various different cities uh, across the United States, um, it, it just seems to me that I know I'm I, I, I anyway it's it's just one of those things that kind of bugs me it feels like people are taking advantage of Chadwick Boseman's death uh, and I don't think that that's fair to him or his family I mean certainly we we honor him for his talent and his skill and 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 sure but now we're making now we're making events out of his death. And it feels like. And and it just to me it feels a little where it's it's gone on long enough now it's starting to feel a little squicky to me. So, I don't know, my two cents, my thoughts, you can you can agree or disagree as you will. Um, the live chat is open for this segment and it is it is going to be open while we play the interview with Mercedes Lackey. I'll be monitoring it here and responding as appropriate. Uh, And then I'll be back a little bit with some final thoughts. So let us take a real quick break, and we will be back with Mercedes Lackey right after this. We are going to put some rules in place. The grown-ups are back. And this time, no subject is sacred. When they're making fun of him for being a Christian, no issue is ignored. This is a tragedy. This is a, a horrible thing. And no one is safe. But as someone who deals with depression, I, this, is, this is an issue with me. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back in the studio, and we are talking today with probably one of the most prolific authors in the genre. Mercedes Lackey joins us. Welcome. So, how are you doing? Oh, 
Oh God. <laughs> I mean, that seems that's that's like the the big question, the big question of the year, right? So, how are you doing? Are you doing all right? How are you holding up? That is a fraught, fraught question, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh man. Oh, I tell you, uh, it is just one of those one of those. It's been one of those years, though. Yeah. And, and people that you know dying, of course, I'm 70, so that starts to happen anyway. But uh, celebrities that shouldn't be dying, dying anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I live in Oklahoma where they think masks are infringing their personal liberties so we haven't left the house to speak of i i go out practically suited up like a hazmat suit because i have to pay my mortgage in person for reasons i won't get into and that's once a month and that's it i after that i don't leave the house fortunately we've got four housemates who are doing all that running around for us which is absolutely wonderful of them uh but it's bloody depressing that's what it is well it's... you know the, the thing is that it's it's depressing and it's exhausting in a way you wouldn't expect yeah and reminding yourself that you are far better off than any random black man in the united states is just just only goes so far to try and alleviate that, and then it doesn't work anymore. Sure. Well, and I would imagine too that you know, for for some people, and and it's been one of those things where I haven't noticed too terribly much difference in in my routine as far as you know, staying in the house, staying in the office, because this is where I work, and this you know, I'm I'm here. You know, I don't get out very much anyway. But just the the longevity of the isolation and the lack of interaction with people outside of you know doing the you know the the online video calls and such, uh, you know it has it has an effect, and I'm starting I'm starting to see that it's it's taking its toll on the people who are used to this kind of thing, staying exactly. in the office and staying in the bunker and staying in the in the basement and working from home. And so it's, yeah, it's... Exactly. And the, the thing is, I think what gets to you far more than you would expect it to get to you is the fact that you can't go out. No. It, it, you don't have the choice. Or if you do go out, you, you're, in some cases, you're literally taking your life in your hand. Uh, Larry, my husband, Larry Dixon, the, the artist, uh, recently got diagnosed with ankylosing spondylosis, which is kind of a arthritis where your immune system starts attacking your own body. Mm. And the treatment for that is a chemotherapy drug. Unfortunately, they caught it early. And he's responding well, but this means he's on chemotherapy for the rest of his life and his immune system is knocked down. So we have to be very, very careful about him. Sure. Well, and and I would also think that the, you know, the lack of, 
not being able to go to Comic Cons or any any of the oh, events God. or any of that. That's that's gotta that's gotta hurt that's too. Horribly. Well, you know, I mean, we had set up things. We've got it. We deliberately bought an RV last year so that we could start going to a lot more cons. We were going to the big Comic Cons with the Bard's Tower. Mm-hmm. And it was it was absolutely delightful. It it was exhausting, but it was energizing at the same time. And the worst one was we were supposed to be well, we were guests of honor for Worldcon in New Zealand this year, and we had planned to have our first vacation in literally twenty years. Oh. We were going to bracket the con with. North Island tour, and then we the last time we went there, we never got to South Island, so we were going to go see some of South Island. And then this happened. Yeah. So there goes our vacation. There goes our World Con. Uh, we did, you know, as much as we could virtually, but uh, it was all an experiment, and so things didn't go right, and uh, we couldn't use Zoom because our IT guy won't allow Zoom on our computers. I see. It's, he says it's way too much of a security risk. There are too many backdoors where the hackers can actually get into your computer from Zoom. Right. So he wouldn't allow it on, on uh, our computers. So that was a conflict. We could only fit in as many people as we could fit in on Discord. So that was uh, not optimal. And. You know. Well, and I think some people are still figuring that part out because, you know, you see uh, you know, groups like Wizard World, for example, are doing their virtual panels, and, and some of those are, are better than others. Uh, you've also got the uh, the smaller cons that are, you know, some of them are, are doing the social distancing. They're able to spread things out a little bit more. But I'm thinking that the bigger conventions are probably going to get hurt the worst out of these, out of all this, because you're not going to get a whole. You're not going to get people that are willing to go back into those places where you've got ten, fifteen, twenty, forty thousand people. Dragon Con with ninety thousand. Yeah, or San Diego. I, I mean, San Diego's got what one hundred and forty thousand. You'd you'd go to Dragon Con and do. Uh, are you old enough to remember the original Star Trek episode with the overpopulated planet? Oh, where yes. In the background, everybody's... That's what it looked like at Dragon Con. Yeah. And, you know, you'd, you'd get sick anyway. You were absolutely guaranteed to get sick at Dragon Con. It would just happen. <laughs> uh, only now the sick can kill you. So let me ask you this. You mentioned WorldCon. Um, I had uh, Joe Haldeman as a guest earlier uh, in the month, and we got to talking about Hugo's. And not to get into the controversy side of things, but m there there is a question that kind of keeps bouncing around in my head because I look at the number of votes in the Hugo's of late, and the numbers keep coming down and going down. You know, this, this past time, I think there was, what, 13? 1,300 or 1,500 votes on the, on the final ballot. Is, is it a concern? Have you had conversations with anybody uh, that, that have expressed any kind of feeling one way or the other on the lower participation in Worldcon? Is that a, is, is, does that look like it might be, you know, because we talk about conventions going away, 
You know, we haven't had these, you know, we haven't had any conventions this year. And, you know, the bigger ones are, are not able to do it. Some of the smaller ones are able to do it. Uh, but, you know, stuff like Worldcon, where people are traveling in from all of these different places, it, is there a future there for for Worldcon? I mean, you're, you've already got diminished numbers on, on attendance anyway. Where do you see Worldcon in, in three years or five years? Well, I don't have anything to do with the ConCons right. for Worldcon. Uh the only reason I had anything to do with the ConCons for WorldCon this year was because we were GOHs at it, and all this happened, and what we were able to do, and I, I have literally have no idea if they actually got around to doing this or not, but we're good friends with Bill Fawcett, who runs DragonCon, and he arranged to have DragonCon's... Whew, 10-year backlog of video footage from panels available to them if they wanted to use it to augment their panels. Oh, wow. Um, and or, but, but, but if I what if I was on the Worldcon Com Committee and what I would do now is I would find some way to make the okay, the level of membership. What's the non-attending membership called now? Is it uh, just called non-attending. I I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I would have the non-attending membership open to all kinds of uh, video access. That would be what I'd do. Sure. Uh. It, it makes sense. It doesn't cost anything for them to have a video camera up and put the thing on, on a, a su subscription Twitch stream or something. And that would probably increase the number of participants, and it I would almost certainly increase the number of votes yeah. and voters. And I think that would be the smart way to go. Is there, is there value? Because uh, in in all of this virtual, the virtual stuff uh, that we've been seeing, you know, some people seem to have a little bit more experience with it than others uh, in terms of actually producing these shows. Is it is it a a good idea for? convention organizers to start thinking in terms of once once we get our our convention back in a in a physical space is it a good idea you think maybe to have a virtual team that augments I, that you think that's a I that's a thing would, now I think, I think that would be absolutely a vital thing these days yeah. you could do it you could do it as a subscription a subscription twitch stream uh you could have the other thing is even at the smallest conventions, there's always conflict for people between panels they want to go see and they're on at the same time. And if you include a subscription stream to the panels and just have them available on a rotating basis, even for a week after the con, then people can see all the panels that they wanted to see. They may not be able to ask questions at the panels, but they can at least see them. Right. And that would that would make much more sense uh dragoncon has done that for a long time via the hotels that they're with 
they all have all these big hotels have their own dedicated channels on the TV's network within the hotel and Dragon Con has arranged to have live things stream, uh, streamed on those channels like the costume contest so if you don't want to if after a hot, long hot, hot tiring day of being squished in halls <laughs> you just want to you just want to get some takeout and go up to the room and see the the, the good costumes you can do that <laughs> and uh if you missed a panel they rebroadcast these things periodically they reap they have other things like they have dragon tv that has uh, an interview stream so you can get one-on-one -on -one interviews with various guests right and there doesn't seem to me to be any reason why this can't be done and, and why it shouldn't be done at this point because the technology is certainly there now yeah. It may not have been even two years ago, but it, it's there now. Well, and and we had a chance. Uh, I don't know if you were at Worldcon in Kansas City back in 2016, but we actually you were. Okay, so you probably walked past us when we were broadcasting because yeah, we had the space there. And I remember having those conversations with the organizers on that one. I was saying, well, we we could we could broadcast live, and they're like, what? Because it, 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 it was such a foreign idea at that time. But I think now that we've actually kind of been forced into this new paradigm where you have to think about online video, maybe 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 people are starting to catch up. Let me ask you about cosplay for a second, because something that I noticed in, in recent conventions, uh, I've started to see cosplayers uh, from David Weber's Honor Harrington universe. Have have you had a chance? Have have there have you run into any cosplayers who are bringing your characters to life at all? Or have you have you seen anybody I there? I have, and very often when we've gone at these to these big convent bigger conventions when we've been with Bard's Tower, which is uh, Alexi Vandenberg's bookstall, uh, they'll they'll actually come up to us, and we we make a po uh, a habit of of signing the costume on the inside hem for them in an, in an indelible ink, which is, we have to be careful with that because mostly those costumes are white. Oh, sure. <laughs> we, we don't want a signature <laughs> bleeding through, but yeah, uh, there's even one fan of mine who has done not just herself as a Herald, but she's done, I'm, I'm into Asian ball jointed dolls. Uh, right. And ABGDs, uh, go look them up. They're lots of fun. They're tall dolls. They're, they're easier to costume than the Barbies I used to do because they're, they're not as small. Um, and she's done her, uh, her ball jointed doll as Vanya. Oh, and okay. it's a beautiful, stunningly, beautifully sewn costume. It's funny you mentioned uh, you mentioned dolls. When I was doing my my prep for this, I ran across the fact that you had gotten that you were into that, and um, it, it, I immediately had a flashback to uh, my my mother's mother's house. Uh, my grandmother collected dolls, and she had one bedroom in the house dedicated to this collection. And there were you'd walk in, and there were hundreds of dolls 
in this room. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't step anywhere without running into one. Anyway, they were on the uh, they were on the dresser, they were on the on the bed, on the chairs, up on shelves everywhere, and it's it's one of those things. Where, okay, yeah, I get it. It's it's a it's a collection. It's an interest because there were some really interesting pieces in that collection, and um, I guess the the appeal of it is. Yeah, the outfits, the different styles. How, how the, the, the what, what with, appeal? Thing, yeah, go ahead. The thing with the uh, Asian ball jointed dolls is they come to you as a blank canvas. It is a blank doll. It is naked. It is bald. It does not have anything on its face. It does not have any eyes. So you turn it into the character or characters that you want to. Okay. And. There is a very dead, a huge overlap, believe it or not, with science fiction fandom. The I've seen people that have done, there's an entire thread in one of the doll forums for just World of Warcraft dolls. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've done... About half of my dolls are the characters from my superhero series, The Secret World Chronicles. <laughs> Just because I, I really wanted to do them as that. Uh, and I've got the other half of my collection is all random elves. Just because I like doing really fancy costumes and elves lend themselves to that. So your superhero figures are your prototypes for the action figures coming out of the TV and movie Deal, oh right? God! I only wish. <laughs> I only wish. Have you have you had discussions about adapting any of your work for for filmed media at all? Has, well, what's what's been the story there? Because you have plenty to choose from. I know, and it's it's a source of ongoing frustration that we've never even had a nibble. Really? Not even the tiniest of of, of nibbles, and I don't know why. I really don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. The thing is, they come to you. Yeah. You don't get to go to them. They come to you. And I don't know, maybe they figure because I'm 70 years old, it's, I'm too old and, 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 and crusty and, and out of uh, touch with what the youth want. <laughs> well, and on the other hand, you could end up with uh, what Sci-Fi did with Earthsea and, and have something that doesn't even resemble what you wrote. So I don't know. It's I guess it's a mixed bag. But that surprises me that that there hasn't been any discussion on that, given how popular your books are and how many you've got. So. I've even done books that were extremely visually oriented specifically hoping that somebody would nibble on it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, in your and you've done your tie-in books cuz you've done the Wing Commander series. Yep. And so I yeah, that that actually does surprise me a little bit that 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 nobody has has and said it, anything. It's just frustrates the hell out of me when I see somebody with one book and suddenly they've got a TV series. Yeah. Well, now the there is a there is something I've seen comments in several places talking about uh, and mostly with regard to comic books, but also with the first novels like you're talking about um, the the general complaint that I've seen 
uh, has has usually centered around the frustration that these people are writing the story in order to get the movie deal. They're not writing the book. They're not writing the comic book for the sake of that medium. They're doing it as an audition to get the movie deal. Is does that have you? I don't. I don't know how much you've talked to other you know other writers and other other people in in the industry and in publishing is does that seem to be a general frustration or is that an isolated complaint i honestly don't know cuz that's the first time i've ever heard it okay. uh, but then i have i have so little time to actually read that's not research reading that I'll be honest with you. I'm not keeping up with the new and shiny people that much. Um, So you don't have any favorites out of the, out of the current crop that's, that's putting books out right now. uh, Actually, I have a, a favorite of somebody that's, entirely self-published at the moment i i get a lot of i go ahead and i get all the free kindle books right just just because i've got a kindle that i stick in my purse and if i'm stuck somewhere i can i I at least have something that i i can try and and throw it out (laughs) (laughs) i i have i hate to say this but the Sturgeon's Law definitely holds when it comes to the self-published <laughs> yes. stuff. It's 90, 90, not just 90% of it is crap, 99% of it is crap. Yeah. But I ran across an absolutely delightful uh, writer named Charlotte English, who I invited to be in the uh, latest Valdemar anthology. She's that good. Oh, okay. And... Uh, the best way to describe her is if... Lord Dunsany was writing now, he'd probably write the way she writes. Hmm. So it's it's just it's beautiful prose, it's delightful little stories, and just brimming with sense of wonder. <laughs> now, when you invite somebody in to collaborate like that, is that an offshoot of uh, the Stellar Guild work that you guys did is that it, did, oh, no, is that, that where was, that started or that had... dates all the way back to the Marty Greenberg edited anthologies oh, that okay. goes oh my god oh that's a ways that back that goes back to well we're on Valdemar Fort anthology fourteen so. Those go back to the early 2000s. Um, oh, wait, no, we did. We skipped two years for reasons I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, but so that, yeah, that goes back to the late 90s. Mm. And when Marty Greenberg was doing all those uh, themed anthologies. And I talked to him about doing them. He was doing them for Marion Zimmer Bradley and for the, the sword and sorceress stuff. And I talked to him about doing, doing a Valdemar themed anthology and uh, it seemed to do very well. So no, that, that, that way precedes the stellar guild stuff. Although I, 
really did enjoy doing that. And we're going to do, Cody and I are going to do part three of reboots and turn it into a, a one act, two act, three act novel that we'll have them go ahead and do. Oh, okay. Well, that'll be, have you had people requesting that? Is like, when are we going to get another one? Is, yeah, actually we did. We have had a couple people yeah. uh, in spite of the fact that, Shahid just literally sent me an email a couple of days ago saying, well, we didn't really know how to position this stuff. And we, we think it should have done better than it did. Uh, and, but we enjoyed the hell out of it. That was a strange, strange thing. Shahid came to me with the idea, or Shahid and, uh, and Mike Resnick. Mm-hmm. came to me with with the idea that we write something with a protege about the same time that I had been talking to my uh, friend and and co-writer Cody Martin and I've been bitching to him <laughs> <laughs> because somebody had had come up with an antho- themed anthology premise that was vampires, werewolves, and zombies in space. And I was bitching about what a stupid idea that was. <laughs> How on earth, why would you anybody want to? Oh my God, I just got an idea. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> that's where the conversation went. Sure. And uh, he was a natural for it because he's very good at, at not comedy writing, but comedic writing. And he's he's a big zombie fan. So that's how we ended up doing reboots one. And then we did reboots two. And we've been thinking about doing reboots three so that they could make a book, uh, an entire book out of it. And now we're going to have the opportunity to do that. How where now you mentioned doing a lot of research it, how extensive do you get into things? Because I, you have, you know, being a fantasy writer, you've got a lot of world building that you've got to do. And it's not just set it in Chicago, unless it's, you know, Chicago with supernatural elements. But, you know, you're, you're creating entire worlds, entire uh, cultures and, and histories. How do you, how do you keep everything in, in in track and and make sure that you don't cross the streams as it were because you have a number of of different universes how do you how do you keep it all straight i have a pretty good memory uh and where i don't have a good memory the fans have a nice collective memory. Oh, sure. So I just go and do a web search and see what <laughs> they say about it. <laughs> Thank you, fans. Thank you, you little obsessive compulsive darlings. <laughs> Dad, do you interact in your, outside of, outside of uh, conventions? Do you get on the discussion forums and the bulletin boards and, and the, the Facebook pages and interact with people in, in any way that way? Uh, I don't. Larry does. Larry's on Twitter. Um, I tend to stay away from that. Oh, because, oh God, back in the original days of bulletin boards, 
I am peripherally acquainted with uh, some of the people that were writing Trek, New Gen, Next Gen, and some of the people that were writing a uh, uh, lots of other things, mostly right. media. And they were getting into trouble because of fan theories that were getting too close to what they had already uh, planned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I just stay away from that. So that if anybody starts coming after me, you stole my idea. I am going to sue you $500 my ass. Uh, sorry. That's a reference to something else. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. Maybe I can, but, I can imagine though that, that, you know, given, given how litigious we are as a society nowadays, any little thing can be a point, you know, a pain point for someone. And, and yeah. yeah, that, that whole, you stole my idea stuff. It, that happens a lot. First, you cannot copyright or trademark an idea. Yeah. You can only copyright or trademark the expression of the idea. Two, even if you win, you lose. Because you're still out time and effort and headache and legal fees. Yeah. So I can just say, well, I'm very sorry, but I have I have my bookmark and cookie logs and everything else to prove that I never got anywhere near your little fan theory. I never saw it. I never heard of it. Here you are, Your Honor. Your Honor says case dismissed. And I never have to go through a whole song and dance act about it. Now, when you're when you're coming up with the ideas, are these are these coming to you fully formed, ready to ready to write? Or is it are they nuggets and little bits and pieces and Maybe it's something you couldn't use in this book, but maybe we can put it over here in this book. Where, where, how do you, how do you start crafting? A, All a of the above, but the main, the main thing that drives my plotting and characterization and everything to do with making a book is I use the, I, I use for structure. I use the, the save the cat beat sheet because I find it. The funny thing about when I read Save the Cat was that he was already doing everything that I was doing in the same order that I like to do it. <laughs> he just had better and more memorable names for it. Right. And where I had books that I was not satisfied with, I could go down the beat sheet and I could say, oh, that's why I'm not satisfied with it. I left out that beat. So it works for me as a template because it works the way my mind does anyway. Yeah. So I just have a very easy to remember thing of what I want to get into the book 
right there in front of me to remind me in case I, I have forgotten to do that particular thing. Uh, and I don't, because I'm not writing a screenplay, if I want to do a very long and involved section that would be shorter in a, in a screenplay, I can do that. If I want to mix things up a little bit, I can do that because I'm not writing a screenplay. Uh, the other thing that drives it is Theodore Sturgeon's ask, ask the next question, which is when you come up with your initial teeny little nugget, all you have to do it, with it is look at that and ask what the next question is. Right. Say I have a character in mind and I'm, all I have is that she's a weaver in a village in Valdemar. So the next question would be, how would she get involved in the greater storyline that's going on in Valdemar? Well, she'd do this. And then the next question is, well, what would she do next? Right. And then the next question is, who else would she uh, would would she encounter? And then the next question is, well, what if that doesn't work? You just keep asking. You, well, you never assume that when you've come up with an answer, the answer is the end. The answer implies a new quest, question or even set of questions. Right. And that works very well. Now, have you have you ever had? And I'm I'm sure you've probably run across this. Have you had the ideas that? No matter how you pick and pull at it, it just you just it you just can't crack it, and it's not going to work. And and you you have to set it aside for maybe sometime later. Oh, I did that uh, years ago with what turned into the Obsidian Mountain series, and what cracked it was that I began working with James Mallory. I simply can't wrap my mind around a cast of thousands type of book. Yeah. And James just wallows in that stuff. <laughs> so we were perfect for each other. How how much do you, you know? Do you prefer collaborating, or is it just depends on the project? Uh, I really, really love collaboration. Yeah. I especially like the fact that these days. If you want to collaborate, you can actually collaborate in real time in the same manuscript with the same people. That is, that tends to come up with all kinds of new and fresh approaches to things. And it certainly comes up with really authentic sounding dialogue. Now, is that, is that born out of how you got into writing in the first place? No, no, I was just a solo writer. No. Uh, the first book was, uh, literally the first book I wrote was Arrows of the Queen. Uh, all first book, first drafts are crap. <laughs> Absolutely, all first books, first drafts are crap. They are, get over it. Yeah. Um, I re rewrote that thing about 10 times 
And then CJ Cherry volunteered to mentor me and I rewrote it another five times under her before she said, send it to DAW. And then under DAW, I rewrote it two more times. And you... By that point, by that point, I had written my one million words of crap. <laughs> <laughs> and it was ready fit to be seen by the public. Now, you and CJ Cherry also have the connection through the filk. I mean, you, you also write uh, lyrics or songs. Do you, do well, you, I, I do used you to. I don't so much anymore. Uh, I, I used to, to uh, write and play both. I did not write music, but I found pr plenty of people that were perfectly willing to write the music for me. So that was lovely. Um, I don't write the songs so much anymore. Uh, and I don't perform at all anymore because two reasons. Filk usually tends to take place very late at night mm -hmm. after I've had a long and exhausting day of uh, doing panels and things like that. And I'm 70 years old. I want to go back to my room. I want to have some room service and I want to fall into bed. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't sit up until five and six in the morning anymore and yeah. go to bed for three hours and then go do the panels anymore. I can't. I'm 70. <laughs> um, the other reason is if I were to go into the filking room now, I would come in as Mercedes Lackey, the New York Times best-selling author, and I would suck all the air out of the room from the people from the people that who are there to filk. And it is not fair, and it is not right, and I'm not going to do that. Sure. Now, is is there is there a project? Is there, whether it's a, a filking or you know writing lyrics or whatever? that the in the in the music side of things is there opportunity for you to include include those in your books that maybe you don't necessarily put them anywhere else but you can still dabble a little bit in in putting some lyrics together to to weave into the stories oh yeah that's okay. the, in fact that was the whole point of doing it in the first place was there were things that would encapsulate moments, uh, would reference, would, would especially reference common legends to the situation, and it was a good place to stick that in, kind of like Tolkien did with some of the uh, lyrics to uh, Elvin songs where he'd reference legends that he didn't want to burden the text with, but still wanted to have them there so that the readers would get that context. Have, have you ever been confronted with uh, comparisons to other fantasy writers? Does that happen a lot? Uh, not very much, not so often, just every now and again? Because I don't hang out on the bulletin boards and things like that, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Normally, I don't. Um, it wouldn't bother me. Uh, 
depending upon who I was being compared to, I'd probably end up being flattered more than anything else. Is there anybody out there that you haven't collaborated with that you're, it's, is part of your dream team cast? Ooh. Somebody that you just sit there and go, you know, I'd really like to work with fill in the blank. Hmm. Well, it would have to be somebody that already collaborates. Uh, dead air. No, must <laughs> not have dead air. Thinking too hard, but must not have dead air. Um, I think I've really covered everybody that I, I've, I've wanted to, and the people that I would have wanted to collaborate with are unfortunately dead now, so... Yeah. Is something something I got I got to talking with with uh, with Joel Haldeman about, and we had talked about this on a couple of different shows here. Uh, the the value of the short fiction versus the the long epics, and you've done both. Um, is is short fiction a good way to get started in? writing and trying to get published is that a is that where where would where would somebody start okay i really want to i want i want to write i want to try this thing but you you talk about knocking out the first hundred thousand and first million words of crap is it better to do that in short fiction or and and try to get get it published or does it matter it doesn't matter because some people are very well suited to short fiction and not as suited to long Theodore Sturgeon is an excellent example of that. His best work really was in his short fiction. Yeah. Uh, Harlan Ellison is the same. His best work was in his screenplays and his short fiction. Uh, some people are better, su better suited to the long form. So the thing to do is try it and see what happens when you start that story. If it's going to go long, then let it go long and see what happens. Uh, long fiction, if you are writing too densely, can probably be pared down and you might end up with a novella instead of a novel. Sure. The thing is that these days, even if there is a shrinking market in print for short fiction, there is a huge market for it in e-form. Because people like to pick up a short story for 99 cents and read it in the dentist's office. Right. So the thing to do is find out what you're best suited for. If you're best suited for a novel or if you're best suited for the short form. And if someone's as prolific as you have been with both... If someone were to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to pick up my very first Mercedes Lackey story and read it, where would somebody start? It depends entirely on what they already like because I cover a, a fairly wide swath of just about everything except hard science fiction. I have never done anything in hard science fiction, but uh, I've done a little bit of everything. So I'd have to say, well, what do you like? Yeah. And then I could steer them in the right direction. 
probably a good example of how I write and not necessarily what I write the most of would be the Hunter trilogy uh, that is Hunter, Elite, and Apex. That's It's YA, but it's, I, I tend to write for of a, a wide audience, so I don't think of ages when I'm writing usually. And that'll give you a good idea of how I write and whether or not you're going to like how I write. Um, but I've done steampunkish, I've done urban fantasy, I've done classic high fantasy epic, I've done superheroes, like I said. Uh, so you'd have to tell me what you like before I could tell you what to start with. Do you have a preference on what kind of story you like to, to write more than others? Or is it just whatever idea hits you, that's where you're going to go? Pretty much whatever idea hits me with where I'm going to go. Now, the thing that is the most fun to write for me is the superhero stuff because I'm collaborating with three other people real time, all in the same manuscript, and it's the closest thing I get to a social life. <laughs> <laughs> I can certainly sympathize. I I I I I am in this room probably you know, twelve, fifteen hours a day. Want, a lot yeah, more than more I should be. Yeah. Although I gotta say I am I am a little jealous of your keyboard there. You mentioned steampunk. You've got a you've got a steampunk keyboard there, uh, which gives me an opportunity to ask you about the Society of Creative Anachronisms. Are are you still are you still participating in in I that? I haven't participated for years. You know, as you as you start getting older, you have to start peeling interests off, and unfortunately. I, that was not such a difficult one to peel off because down here in the in the uh, uh, Oklahoma region, most events are camping events, and I do not do camping. <laughs> I am too old, too tired, and I get too sore <laughs> to be sleeping on the ground. Now, you were born in Chicago. How did you end up in Oklahoma? I got a job with American Airlines as a computer programmer. Oh, okay. And their headquarters is down here. It's just that simple. <laughs> yes, people, you have to have a day job. You can't expect to make a living writing. Okay, this is where I do my lecture. 95% <laughs> of all writers of fiction make a living doing something else. What this means is there is absolutely no stigma about you not making a living writing. So get a job that doesn't make you want to open a vein but rather than go to work. <laughs> Something that pays the bills and come home and have your the love of your life in your prose in your spare time. This is a fine thing. 95% of all people who are writing fiction do this. 
of the remaining 5% of the people who are making a living writing, half of those are not making a living writing fiction. They're making a living writing something else, used to be journalism, that's tending to peel off these days, but there's plenty of good jobs for technical writers, that kind of thing. They're usually doing that. Only 2.5% of the writers out there are making a living writing fiction exclusively. It's just fine to aspire to that. It's everyone's dream, but don't go beating yourself up if you're in the 97.5%. And I would add to that, that, you know, given, given that the first work is generally not the best thing you're ever going to write, I would say not to beat yourself up over the first one, not being a great piece of fiction either, because there, there are plenty of people who just sit there and they go, Oh, this is, this is garbage. I'm never going to do this again. And they set it aside. They, and they, they no, most of crush the work their own writing, dreams. Most of the work in writing is in rewriting and editing. And yeah. if you're really, really lucky, you'll get a mentor like I did with CJ. Who, But you can hire editors. There are lots of people out there who will be perfectly happy to take your money and do a good job of editing your work. Some are content editors. They'll uh, look at this thing and they'll say, well, there seems to be a hole here. And this is not particularly uh, interesting. And this is a lot more interesting. And then there are just plain grammar and spelling editors. And sometimes they are both in the same person. And that's a good resource for people to get right now. Now, is that something that you do with some of the some of the new writers that you take on as as collaborators? Oh God, do you... I'm terrible at them. <laughs> I, I, I am I am such a horrible person to them. Yes, I do. <laughs> but uh, I've I've kind of my agent has said, okay, you've done enough. Stop now. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with the ones you've got. Don't take on any more. Have you ever gotten into a collaboration where you're halfway through, three quarters of the way through, and it's just it's just a miserable, why did I do this experience? Or has, has everything generally gone well? I did that once. I will not mention the book. <laughs> it is in publication. I will not mention the book nor the author, but it was the most miserable experience of my life. I did it for the money, and I will never do that again. I, I think a lot of people have that one, that one job, that one project that was, okay, I got to do this for the money and I'm not going to enjoy it. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so where would people find, uh, you know, you're online and, uh, and you've got your, your website, mercedeslackey.com. Where else can people find you and besides you well, know, the books in the library and, and your website and Amazon and, and where else? You can kind of get to me indirectly on Twitter uh, because my husband is extensively on Twitter. He is at, I think he's at Griffin King. Okay. Uh, but if you just hunt around for the Larry Dixon and find one with a Griffin in it, that's probably him. Uh, and he, you can, so you can get at me fairly indirectly that way. 
Uh, I also, interestingly enough, I, I answer a lot of questions on Quora uh, about writing, uh, about birds of prey and uh, wild animals because I have a background in ethology. And I, we, Larry and I did about 20 years of raptor rehab and once again, got too old, <laughs> can't can can no longer traipse across 20 acres of wait a minute bushes. You know what a wait a minute bush is, right? I do not. That That's wait a minute bushes where you stop. Wait a minute. I got to get untangled from this. Wait oh, a minute. Yes. I got to get out of these thorns. Wait a minute. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. In the rain, in the rain, it's always in the rain uh, to, to rescue something. We can't do that anymore. So well, and I'm looking here. It says you are a 2017 and 2018 top writer over on Quora. You've got 13,444 answers. You've been you you are fairly prolific here as well. Well, I I've been on there since 2015 or 16. So remember that some of those answers are a Google link because people don't seem to be able to Google for themselves uh, or, or a one-line answer. And sometimes I've even done one-word answers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's not 13,000 huge answers on there. Yeah. That's, uh, I, 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 I will admit that I indulge my curmudgeonly old self in quite a bit of snark on there. Have you um, have you got have you got one project in you that you've just never gotten around to it, and you just keep saying, "I've got to get that. I've got to get that one written. I've got to get that one done." And it just oh it just sits. Oh God! Yeah, I've really got to finish the last Elvin Bain book. Uh, it kind of what happened was Andre died, and. Her video will designated her caretaker as the recipient of her copyrights and of and uh, to be to be written work. And I really adored Sue, and I had absolutely no problem whatsoever with doing all the work to have Sue get half the money. Uh and then I found out that the video will then said, no, anybody that's doing the collaborative work gets all the money if it's an unwritten work, which was pretty nice. And then along came this cancer doctor who had a previous written will that did that said the same thing with all of, but with except with without the carve out for collaborative work. So this guy who's running around in Texas with a big mansion and driving Mercedes Benz's is going to do zero of the work and he's going to get half the money on the Elvin book. And I said, oh, hell no. And so did my agent. He got some judge in Tennessee to override the video will. Hmm. Bunch of misogynist pricks, if you ask me. Anyway, um, that finally got sorted out fairly recently, but of course I've lost all the momentum on that. Sure. So I've, I've really got to just carve out some time and write the thing 
so that the quadrology is done. How do you and how do you ramp yourself to... up on on something like that? If you've got this thing that's just hanging there and you know you got to get to it, what's your what's your what's your self motivation pep talk that you're using to get into these projects? That... Uh, in this case, it's because I'd really like Andre's legacy not to be unfinished. Sure. Uh, and God damn it, I owe it to her. <laughs> so there's that. And I, I also owe it to Tor books. So. <laughs> <laughs> They've been awfully nice about it. Now you mentioned Tor, you mentioned Daw. Um, do you have, is there a, is there a favorite when it comes to the publishers that you've worked with or just does it oh, just whoever? I don't, a, I don't have a favorite. I have a very good relationship with, uh, my three main publishers. Uh, how do you decide who gets what? Well, it really kind of depends upon what it is the project is. Uh, some things are very obviously more suited to Bane than, than to the other two. This, the superhero stuff was way more suited to Bane than to the other two. Right. Um, and some of it is, if it's in a long-standing series, obviously you dance with the one that brung you. Oh, sure. So. Speaking of which, I do have uh, in our review pile. Now, over here on, on the shelf behind me is one part of the review pile that we've got uh, with a number of books that have, that have arrived in the studio since 2012. That's how late I am on some of these. That's but I do, okay. I That's do have okay. two. I do have two Mercedes Lackey books here, Redoubt and uh, Home from the Sea, and it appears that these are in series. So let me ask you this. If somebody is picking up a book that's in the midst of a, of a series, can someone pick up, like say this one here is book four, can I pick this one up at, at this as my starting point, or do I need to go back no. to the three? No, no. Uh, that's actually the fourth book of a reboot of Valdemar where I made a second entry point to the Valdemar series. So that people could go back to the first book in that bunch, which is Foundation, and they could start Valdemar, which is, what, 46 books now? Uh and they wouldn't be confused. Elemental Masters, you can almost pick up any book at any point in the Elemental Masters series, and you aren't going to be confused. Um, the reason I say almost is because I have three that include... John Watson, his wife Mary, and Sherlock Holmes in them. And they are kind of, they are definitely in chronological order. Oh, sure. Okay. But, so you probably want to start with the first one with Sherlock Holmes on the cover for that one. But for the rest of the Elemental Master series, they're completely standalone. Good to know. I will I will pull this to the, close to the top of the list then, and... and... 
uh, one of the one of these days we'll catch up on all of the one reviews. Yeah. I know so many books, so many books, so little time. I know, right? And and hopefully, uh, when when I when we get around to it, the glasses don't break after the after the bombing, right? So oh God. what what are you working on now? <laughs> I am currently working on finishing up uh, the next Elemental Masters book, which is the first one of the Daw books that is going to be set in the United States. And it is called Jolene. And yes, the Dolly Parton song figures very prominently in it, in that I realized that Elemental Masters books are all retold fairy tales. They are all take place between about 1880 and 1916. And I realized that Jolene, the song, corresponds practically one-to-one to the very ending of the Ukrainian fairy tale, The Mistress of Copper Mountain. Interesting. So I just had to make that work <laughs> in Tennessee. Well, and and <laughs> in, the, in the late eighteen hundreds. And when it gets published, you're going to do a first reading down at Dollywood, I would expect. Yes. I I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I I'm, I am actually attempting to get hold of somebody that's with uh, Dolly Parton's team to see if she'd be interested in looking at the book and possibly possibly doing a blurb. Oh, sure. uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. It would be nice, awfully, awfully nice if, I, if it would. And I would love to do a reading at, at Dollywood. Well, maybe... Although, maybe although, I'm, we, not, go ahead. I, although I'm not sure I could manage the accent. <laughs> I, I, I'd have to try. I, I can write the accent. I can't so much speak the accent now when you do dialects and stuff do you do you write phonetically with the with whatever the dialect is supposed to be the the accent and such or do you just uh, i do my best yeah okay well we will be looking forward to that the book jolene that's the one you're working on now um yep. and the website mercedeslackey.com and uh larry dixon is griffin king on twitter and of course, over at Cora, um, do you have I'm a Mercedes are lucky? Mercedes are lucky. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate well, this. Well, thank you for having me. I loved being had. <laughs> okay. And we will have oh, to do I, this again. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to remember one more thing. Yes. People are going to be wondering why I said $500, my ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, are, we are big racing fans. And we are big fans of the... 24 hours of lemons, not Le Mans, lemons <laughs> racing series, which is where you take any t car that is only worth $500 and you cosplay it as all kinds of really wonderful and strange things and you race it. And it's a, it's a strictly a series of, of, Car races that are just supposed to be fun, although there are people that go out there and miss the whole point and seriously race. Mm. 
But uh, one of the things that uh, always comes up is the people look at these cars and they go, $500, my ass. You know, the people real very sure. strange. Far too serious people on Twitter and the comment, board, comment boards. Yeah, the people who think that you spent more than $500 just because of how it turns out, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, are you doing that any time soon, or is that is that uh, another one you've had to kind of walk away from? That's well, we 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 follow it on online. Uh, we haven't been able to go to any of the races because, like, sure. well, hopefully things will turn around and we'll actually get out get out more and and start to hit events. And you can use your RV and you can travel a little bit and and. Get out and meet the people a little bit more. It would sure be nice. All right. Well, in the meantime, uh, we will let you get back to uh, working on your books. Uh, Mercedes Lackey, thank you very much for your time today. We do appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciated it, and I had a great time. Thank you. All right. Well, breaking news here. We want to thank Mercedes Lackey for her time today, uh, earlier in the week especially. But we've got breaking news here. On The Mandalorian Season 2, now a while back we were supposed to get uh, the trailer uh, the trailer for Season 2 of uh, Mandalorian. And apparently there's a problem. And so we're, uh, we're, we're looking at that. Grace Randolph reporting here that apparently... Disney did not like the trailer, and it's being re-edited, and also she's hearing from her sources that uh, there's a problem with the season overall. Apparently Disney is not happy with the whole thing. She's hearing reshoots are in order, and if things change in tone about halfway through the season... Uh, that apparently is a thing. So we're going to keep an eye on that. Uh, she's not really able to divulge details without revealing her source. Uh, so uh, take that for what it's worth with grains of salt at the ready. So we'll see what happens there. I uh, want to thank uh, uh, 2012 Jameson for the, li- for, the, uh, for the super chat here in the, in the live chat uh, during, the, during the show. If you would like to support us in a... In a a way that involves coinage. We do have a Subscribestar account set up, subscribestar.com slash sci-fi for me. And if you want to save some money on swag, you can go to superherostuff.com, use the promo code sci-fi for me 10 at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your order. And uh, this reminder, tonight we have a new Tribble Bites with the latest news about Star Trek and the Orville, and no, we don't have any news about the Orville, but that this, if we did, that's the show that it would be on. So that's tonight at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central uh, for Triple Bites, and then uh, we'll be back here tomorrow with more conversations live from the bunker. Thanks very much for being here today. Thank you, Mercedes Lackey, for your time, and we will be back with more here on Sci-Fi for Me TV. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.